So, you uh, approached this a little bit differently. Yes. So, were you surprised I gave you a little bit of a heads up? Well, you gave me a little heads up, but not, not you know, like not just much. a few hours ago. Yeah. Well, if and, you recall, uh, in your younger years, I, would, I was yeah, trying to well, stump you. Yeah, well, it's funny because I have been busy recalling my younger years. Hmm. Because I'm writing my autobiography. Oh, really? Yeah. I got to get it done. And uh, I'm doing it. Um, That's probably daunting. Uh, it is. I'm, ta- I'm choosing a different way of doing it. I hope it's successful for the reader. Uh, Which is what? Well, I'm telling the story as I remember, you know, according to how I remember it, not chronology. Chronology has uh, failed me. I just don't want to do a chronology. Mm. So it's more like a theme. Like uh, I started out talking about my dad. And uh, then I I anecdotally uh, reminisce uh, about my relationship with my dad and why, really why I liked him so much. Uh, Unlike so many people, I, I know you had a good relationship with your father, right? Still do. Yeah. I know you do now. It's amazing. <laughs> Yours is now, past tense. Mine's grow, present growing tense. Growing up, you, you had a good relationship with your dad. I did, yeah. Yeah. Mm. And I and I did too, and so many didn't, Jared. Mm. You know, you, it's so easy to take that for granted. It's hard to empathize, or what's, yeah, what's uh, the one yeah, where you actually... I feel like they must, but I yeah. I just, I don't you know You have what, to take it at face value, because you don't know what it's like. No, I have no idea. I mean, I was... Uh, I lost my father, uh, well, he's 65, and uh, I've already passed him up. You've outlasted him. I've outlasted him. And uh, That's a weird feeling, maybe. Well, losing him was, you know, of course, losing my wife was was worse. (laughs) Uh, And a fresher wound. Yeah, that's the worst. Uh Nothing, nothing feels like that. But losing my dad was was tough. Heck, losing my pet dog was tough. I mean, death sucks. It really does. Yeah, and uh, you know, it's the last enemy to be defeated. Is death? Um, death will be thrown in the lake of fire. Whatever that might mean. Yeah, whatever that means. But a triumphant moment, regardless of what exactly it a permanent, entails. a permanently triumphant moment. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. the resurrection. So that's our hope, right? Our hope is uh, not that we be. Well, you know, it's funny. You sent me on a deep dive by telling me you wanted today's me to, theme. Yeah, today's topic. Today's topic, which nobody knows what the topic is no are you gonna say it because i mean that's your job <laughs> that's my role here so well, state you're the, the guy that sets the topic that's true okay I mean, so i don't know if people realize that but you actually frame that show I, unless i wander down some corridor i think people catch that drift yeah so yes the the reason i gave you a heads up is because well while it's fun to surprise you and try to stump you i feel like this particular 
topic or question. It's probably better if you've meditated on it a little yeah, bit. Yeah, that's why I said I really have taken a deep dive this afternoon after you told me what you wanted to talk to me about. So the premise is this. You've been studying the scriptures for many years. Yeah. And undoubtedly, you've had many changes of mind over the years. 40 as you, plus. 40 plus 40 years. plus years. Yeah. And you don't grow and advance inside your faith by... Well, I want to talk the about sameness. I want to talk about changing my mind. Well, that's what because, the question is: is what have you changed your mind about? Sure. Yeah. The sure. most, either the most foundational things, or the most surprising things, or like yeah. big shifts yeah. in your yeah. mind. Well, uh, well, let me tell you. Uh, I, I I did some Bible teaching and preaching uh, in the in the late seventies. 77, 78, 79. I did some then. Significant amount. Mm-hmm. Uh, at age of? At age of 26, 7, 8. And, uh, but, but, uh, it was the, you know, right around this time, because it was the, the weekend of the uh, Miracle on Ice. That's right. I remember that. You know, we the Miracle about that on Ice. And I, would li- I listened to it on the radio. Some people say, well, I watched it live on TV. No, you didn't. That was delayed. It was, the game was over when it got on TV. If you, wanted to listen, if you wanted to catch it live, you had to listen on the radio, which I did. And, I, you know, I didn't know. I wasn't, I wasn't a hockey fan or anything like that. But the game was hyped up pretty much. And, of course, that Russian team had been pounding the NHL. Uh, in their warm-ups, they'd been playing exhibition games against the NHL teams and beating them badly, you know, like 9-2 to two and stuff like that. Anyway, that weekend, I was sick. And that was the weekend. I don't want to get too far into it and sound too mystical. But that was the weekend that God gave to me all Scripture. And by that, I mean, <clears throat> I didn't realize that that's what he did was give me all Scripture I only realized that in this subsequent study of Scripture where I realized what it meant to have all Scripture. And what that means is you, you, you have the freedom just to go anywhere in the Scripture. So this is not supernatural understanding, more like access to everything. Yeah, it's the grace gift of God. It's, it's, it's a grace gift of God that goes along with His calling into the ministry. And uh, entering into the ministry, according to the scripture, requires a, a, definite, a definite calling of God that you know, the preacher knows it, and won't be shaken as persuaded otherwise. But it also requires hands being laid upon by m- m- a man or men that are already that have already been called into the ministry and it's clear so that's why Paul told Timothy don't lay hands on men suddenly now they would actually physically touch somebody would yeah they? I think that they and I've seen some um, yeah symbolically some, or charismatic like spiritual gift kind of thing yeah, well, yeah. there's no impartation going on there except approval uh, but how you know? How do you show your approval? In yeah. other words, if if uh, it's about you're vouching. Yeah, and how do you vouch, you know? How do you vouch for a man? Especially, how would you vouch 
maybe together as two or three or four. Say the elders in the church are bringing in uh, or approving of a teacher like yourself. Okay, you're a young man in the church. There's elders. You're not an elder. Right. Uh, you're teaching in the church. Uh, Too young. It's known in the church. It's known in the church that you're approved to do what you're doing. Uh, you're not a guy on his own, you know, like, oh, Jerry just keeps getting up there and, you know, what's he doing? He never sings. Ha! So I it's sing. nothing like that, you know. So how, okay, we have a small But there was no ceremonial laying on our hands. No, but hands laid on nonetheless. Okay, so. So, yeah, there was no ceremonial. But, but if, if we were larger, for example, mm. and we, we would maybe want to make an announcement. Mm -hmm. Because we can just, you know, in between meetings, we could pass all that information thoroughly to each other and sit back down and we know. But in a larger gathering, we, you know, we might want to have the elders come up and call Jared up and they say together that we approve this guy to teach in this, in this church. But instead of saying all that, if you just laid hands on him and had a little ceremony... You know, people would understand it, and they'd applaud, and that'd be over. And I've seen that actually. I I've never objected to it. I uh, there's, there's nothing matter with putting your arms on a guy's shoulder. Uh, you would not do that to somebody you don't approve of, right? Um, we don't actually have that uh, practice in our culture. Yeah, you know, it's just not ingrained in our culture that it's a it's a more of a Jewish thing, really, uh, in terms of a practice. I, I don't know what, how they practiced it in the synagogue, but I'm sure they did. Um, I'm sure at the Church of Antioch, they had a signification of who those teachers and uh, uh, elders were going to be there in, in Antioch. We see it in other cultures We're as well. Poets. You think of British royalty, there's like the knighting process. Yeah. You know? And, you know, some say, well, it's kind of pomp and circumstance and not really necessary. Uh, your graduation ceremonies that way. Yeah. I had to pay 60 bucks not to gra not to go to the ceremony. <laughs> For that kind of money, I just would have went through it, you know? To yeah, suffer it, it was a toss-up, really. Mm -hmm. So you have the, the personal... Uh, call of God. So you have the personal call of God, which is unshakable. And then you have the witness of the existing And elders. then you have uh, men or men that you could, because there are times when you'll have to credentialize yourself. And uh, of course, to lead in a church, your credentials, your family. So uh, that's, let's just say that's your introductory, uh, you and your family are your introductory credentials. But above and beyond now, to be a teacher, uh, who said, you know? Right. Well, they invent these uh, Bible schools, which are not an act of, which are not according to Scripture. Uh, some Bible schools could be. Uh, I think there's room for schools in the Scripture. Paul seemed to hold classes mm. uh, at a private institution. The School of Tyrannus. Yeah, the School of Tyrannus, which yeah. was a well-known school and which attracted, you know, interest in students. So Paul got himself probably a reasonably good classroom there mm -hmm. setting. And I, th that's good. I mean, that any way you can teach the scriptures is good. 
Um, uh, but, uh, they, you know, you didn't get a certificate from the school of Tyrannus, right. and now you can go into some church in Galatia, and you're the teacher. Uh, you're the pastor or whatever. No, that, that, that's not biblical. Pastors and teachers uh, uh, are uh, raised up in the churches, in the church, and then the churches, you know, there's the church, and there's the churches. There's not like one big church. Yeah. There never was one big church. Okay, Jerusalem, one big church. Since Jerusalem, there's never been one big church. So the, the, the foundational churches had another problem that we don't have, which is that they didn't have any time. Well, like, they didn't have time and they didn't have the Bible. Well, sure, but in terms of elders, you know, like... There was no existing church that somebody could grow up in and become an elder. No, I mean, T Timothy and Titus had to appoint elders in those early churches. Nobody had experience. No, you had, you had inexperienced but high-character men. Right. And uh, they're not going to be reading the Bible because uh, there isn't one. Uh, if they get a hold of an Old Testament, they were wealthy to get a hold of one. Very wealthy. I mean, whole synagogues had one Bible. But I mean, Paul goes into Philippi, and everybody gets saved, and sets up a church and moves on. Yeah, they don't have the Bible, right? But they also just got saved. Like they're fresh, all newly saved, fresh out of the water, and now you yeah. need to be an elder. Yeah. So there were some spiritual gifts given. Don't you believe? For oh, those sure. People? There were there, absolutely there was consideration right? by God to to provide for them. Well, yeah. I mean, the spiritual gifts were to signify who was right. So those were like the publicly exercised ones. Yeah. But then uh, ones inside the church. I mean, you know, the gift of knowledge. These guys knew because they had gift of knowledge. Well, the gifts given. They had the gift of you know, prophecy. Ephesians 4, gifts given unto men. You had the, had the, the pastoring gift. shepherds, right? Right. Well, those are the gifts given to the church, though. I mean, the gifts given to men fizzled out in in uh as first corinthians uh teaches us the 13th chapter right but those they were the, given to that church as well it's just that they fizzled out yeah those were the teaching gifts there so they operate early church operated on gifts to men and then those gifted men given to the church to teach right but those were also elders some were some weren't not all teachers are elders. All elders are teachers. Right. So all the elders in Philippi, for instance, were pastoring shepherds. They were. Yeah. I yeah. mean, well, yeah. Well, yeah. We're on the same page there. They were. They were sh uh, teaching shepherds. Yeah. Yeah. We're on two sides of the same coin. So, not sure how we're getting to the, your change of mind. So we need to just drive forward. Well, yeah. Here. This was a deep dive. Okay. So because we were saying, who's going to tell us what the topic was? Uh, <laughs> so. So you've made it clear. You made it clear what you mean. But, uh, but let me tell you that uh, it's a little different than that. As, as I was thinking about it carefully, you know, I thought about, well, where was I wrong? And I've been wrong for sure. But I didn't teach it. I didn't teach where I've been wrong. I, I've stayed inside the lines uh carefully at least since 1980 i could say that okay 
So maybe I, in your first couple of years. Maybe in my first couple of years, I was, you know, out of bounds with what I had to say that maybe I said beyond my faith. I don't know because it wasn't like a, a strong consideration in my mind. Okay. But since that time in 1980, it's been a real strong consideration in my mind to stay inside the bounds of faith and what I teach, my faith and what I teach. You know, I stay, sometimes I get close to the line. Mm. But I usually will tell you that when I'm preaching. Like, you know, this is, you know, I'm, I've just discovered this and I'm pretty interested in this. Uh, so I wouldn't say there are any great changes of mind that uh, are, are, are symptomatic of, oh, I was wrong about that. Here it's like this instead. But now, if change of mind is, I was looking at that this way, and now I'm looking at that that way. Now I've got a lot of those. Yeah. Uh, those are those go on constantly. I have balls in the air, you might say, constantly um, on different topics because I'm being I'm being nudged and bothered about things, just like anybody else is. That's roaming around in the scripture i mean you just get you just get taken by certain things and certain considerations echo in your mind now in the in the early 80s after after god called me in the ministry and and uh men willful men willfully refused to acknowledge it um I was correcting my thoughts on the rapture of the church. Now, I had been, I was being taught that the church would be raptured, like, conditionally mid-tribulation. What do you mean conditionally? Like, if they're good enough? Yeah, well, yeah, like if they're good enough. It wasn't that clear. The teaching wasn't that clear. Mm. I tried to make it, you know, like, declaratory declaratory uh, statements. I tried to get it put into simple declaratory statements so that we could take it all apart, okay? But there was this conditionality roaming around the resurrection that disturbed me. It was being taught. To the point where I confronted the, the main teacher uh, one evening... Uh, asking him just point blank, direct, are you saying that a resurrection body is conditional? But I got it just right to that point, right? You may or may not get one. Yeah. You may or may not have resurrection body. And the response was? I forgot the exact response, but it was real mushy and doubtful, you know? Like, it, that's simple yes or no right there. Actually. Yeah, a lot and, of times uh, the lack of a yes or no is the answer. Yeah, you know. Well, yeah, that that's right. So, right, well, of course, right away, I I I thought, well, th this guy is uh, 
uh, foundation. I mean, fundamentally, that's dishonest to preach what he does and to sit not and be doubtful in my answer. I mean, yeah, clearly your answer should be yeah. It's conditional. You you might not get one. What his answer should have been, because according to what, according to the rest of what he was teaching, frankly, according to what he actually taught. So I remember turning to a, a fella after that conversation. I mean, he kind of went away in a huff, like he's an older guy, but what are you doing questioning me? Uh, so I kind of got on to him, and uh, I turned to one of the guys there, and I said, I, look, I, I don't care what, what you're going to say here. I don't believe that we're going to live at any time uh with disembodied spirits floating around or something i don't quite know what that means uh i don't see the resurrection with disembodied spirits pretty sure everybody gets a body even the unbeliever mm-hmm. so i'm i've drove home that point that this is pretty important doc so so there I clarified my own mind in that process. You know, I, I clarified my own mind. I thought, well, okay, so if this is the case, uh, first of all, I thought, well, this guy, I'm going to have to review everything that he's taught me. You know, I'm going to have to go back and shake loose any stuff that may have led to these kind of conclusions and i i did some research and i found out the books he read and i read the books he read and i saw how doubtful a lot of it was even to the authors and he was teaching it in a doctrinaire way and the the guys that that wrote it weren't even positive about things and even though together they've taught to get certain ones taught more or less together, they had a wide range of opinions on and you know end time thing it was it came out of the of the late of the early early to mid part of the nineteenth century where uh the the doctrine of the second coming just got a revitalization. And they just began to take it up, which is biblical, by the way, because uh, the scriptures tell us uh, not to forsake the uh, the the uh, uh, soon episunagoge. Thank you, the episunagoge, or the synagogue on high, or the gathering together. The gathering together on high, which is the assembling of the Lord's people in the to ever be with Him. Don't neglect that. Well, that was neglected for probably fifteen hundred more than fifteen hundred years, and only taken only began to be taken up in a serious fashion in the early to mid nineteenth century by you know men who stand way taller than I do. But who were doubtful about things? Okay, there was other things about this guy that were just not right and ended up being quite evil. But 
uh, I began to break away from uh, a whole line of thought, a whole line of thought, a whole line of doctrine. I had to go back. I had to go put my my little my little doctrinal house fell down. And, you know, it's like a hurricane came in and and uh, the foundation of it was. Up. Yeah, I had to rebuild ground up. Well, so I actually started. I know when you build ground up, you start the bottom build up, but I actually started at the top, and and uh, I had been I had been hung up uh, in my mind on Philippians three, where Paul says. Uh, or Paul says he's not justified. Mm-hmm. He says, you know, I by the I'm 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 not hereby justified, and that he seeks to be justified. I mean that that um, you have it there. I'm getting there. Yeah, isn't that I'm not yet hereby justified? Isn't that? I'm not hereby justified. Is that Philippians? Yeah, Philippians chapter 3. I thought that was 1 Corinthians. verse 11 through 14, something like that. This is, I've not already attained. Yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah. I'm not hereby justified. That's a 1 Corinthians statement when he's talking about being judged in man's day. Oh, is that? Okay. Thank you for that correction. definitely connect. So, Philippians 3, if by any means I might attain yeah. unto the resurrection of the dead. That's what, it, that's what I meant, yes. Yeah. I might attain to the resurrection of the dead. Not as though I had already attained, Yeah, either were already perfect, but I follow after, if that I may apprehend that for which also I am apprehended of Christ Jesus. So, not... The justified is First Corinthians. This is, I have not already yeah. attained. That's right. I mean, both those things... Bothered me, but where I came, doctrinally speaking, I came from the study of the resurrection to this. I, you know, I came because you wanted to attain the resurrection of the dead, and you're thinking, I mean, well, your, is, that, already, is that the I'm condition? Already, I'm already certain that I'm going to res that everybody's going to resurrect. Right, but is this where the fellow was getting his conditional resurrection? I, I wish it was, but no, it wasn't because. <laughs> Because I can see a misreading of this be that. Yeah. Right? No, I, I mean, it. it's hard to explain because I've built, you know, through the grace of God, I now have a doctrinal house where the structure right. is pretty... You knocked that house down years ago. You're not going to remember exactly how it looked. Well, it really, I think it was more like materials laying out on the ground. <laughs> like a yard it, sale or something? Uh, yeah, I got some bricks over here and I got right, some right. framing over here. And yeah. Here's a, here's a, here's a big... Bl- Lump of concrete that's getting hard because there's nowhere to go. Right. It's more like a bunch of raw materials, not really a, like a shanty town. Well, yeah. I found out I wasn't orderly and I wasn't solid. And and even though I did have some some things put together, uh, I had a long way to go. But here I started at the very top of the house. And why is this the top of the house? I don't understand that part. Well, because it's the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. You know, it's like it's the resurrection. It's way past. It's you know is how it, you do in the resurrection. It's way past. Like it's the end of your faith. Yeah, I, 
I understand it now and I have for a lot of years, so it's hard to go back and say, okay, so when you don't understand that, here's how you think. But when you don't understand that, you are easily swayed into jeopardies that don't apply to eternal life. As you know, there are great jeopardies for the believer in Scripture, but they don't pertain to whether or not you get a resurrection body. Right. That, that's not that's not there. And which which of course, as soon as you shake getting a resurrection body, once you shake that, once you inject a little doubt into there, well, how do you? What makes you think you're saved at all? What you? What do you save from? You know, nobody for you that. <laughs> that's not saved. That that isn't saved. I mean, what if God's your spirit in, is saved, but you're not like embodied, like you're just like a spirit? Isn't that what the, what the deal was? You know, he wouldn't come out and say it. I mean, I was concluding that from from him denying that we all got resurrection bodies. Uh but. I went. I went from there to the. You know, it's like a house of cards. If you yeah. if you push one of them, the whole thing collapses. So when I pushed on that little card right there, the whole deal collapsed, and all of a sudden, I knew that this guy didn't know what was in jeopardy and what wasn't. In other words, he didn't know what was secure. I found out. That he had, he'd gone to Bible college, right? And that he was, um, we call those guys, Church of the Nazarene. Church of the Nazarene. I'm not familiar. Yeah, they're uh, they're insecure. <laughs> <laughs> is yeah. that is that on their doctrinal statement? Like we're insecure. Pretty much. I mean, they're they're following that. In the prove it out long inheritance of the insecure teachers, the ones who teach you know you you can lose your salvation. It's funny. I mean that thing never that thing never works anyway. If you lose your salvation, first of all, if you can, you did. All you got to do is think about it a little bit. And uh, yeah, just think about it a little. You've already lost it if you can. And uh, also, if you can, then it's meaningless. Yeah, and of course the scriptures they use to show that say you can't come ever come back and repent. So that's the end of that. Yeah. It doesn't seem like so much of the error in Christian teaching is just putting things in the wrong buckets. You know, I think it's been going on all the time. Because, you know, without the Bible, what were they doing? They had to have their buckets messed up. Oh yeah. So so actually, uh, you know, he asked me this question. I have the opportunity. Yeah, here I'm late in life, and I still have day and night time because I got lights uh, to look at numerous versions, of, innumerable versions of the scripture that I care to. Uh, I am chasing after one thing that's that's hard to find, but that, as I say, I don't usually I don't teach my doubts or anything, but there is one thing I'm looking at that's hard to find. Uh, and, and and some things you have to wait for the answer. You just don't get answers just like that. Mm-hmm. Uh, that that particular passage was opened to me by Ed Wilson. 
What in the Philippians? Edwin Wilson, Philippians. He got he got me on track on Philippians. What did he say to you that got you on track? He said, "There's three resurrections." That's what he said. Yeah, he said, "There's three resurrections." You said that to me. Yeah, of course, it's foundational. <laughs> if, I if, remember if, that. If you don't know, there's three resurrections. The Bible doesn't go together well for you, but once you know it. Now you have to swallow down your excitement so people don't think you're too proud of things. Mm. Because it sorts so much out for you. You're like, ah, yeah, James 2, I get that. I'm looking for the right stuff and the right passages now. So are these three resurrections, are these the buckets that you can put things into? Or they build on each other? How are they related? Well, you know, the three resurrections are the, the re- general resurrection. Which is to say... The Anastasic Necron, just that all the dead rise. The rising up of the dead. Yeah, this is what Mary and Martha believed. At the last day. The last day. But but Jesus, on his way down from, from the mountain, tells his disciples, don't tell any... This is the Mount of Transfiguration. He mm-hmm. says, don't tell anybody of this until the resurrection... From the dead, and they they jumped on that. You you'll see they wondered what it meant, right? What the resurrection from the dead meant, not the resurrection of the dead, but the resurrection from the dead, the Anastasic Necron. That's what Jesus did. They wouldn't have been confused if he had merely referenced the one that Martha and Mary already. Nah, knew about. They, that would have been fine. And they'd have just gone, oh yeah, we'll wait till it's all over. But now he's talking about a resurrection from the dead, and they wondered what the resurrection from the dead meant. It's right there in Mark. So so uh, that leads to the unique word. Okay, so uh, Edwin Wilson, A. Edwin Wilson, not the spy, but the great Bible teacher. Was, <laughs> I don't know the spy. Was a wonderful Greek teacher, wonderful Greek teacher. And uh, was taught by the great um, Greek scholar A.T. Robertson. Was taught directly by A.T. Robertson. So as those kind of pedigrees go, he had a good Greek pedigree. And he was helping me take apart the ex-anastasis, ek-necron, which is what Paul hopes to attain to in Philippians chapter 3. He doesn't hope to obtain to these other two, which are guaranteed. First of all, everybody's going to rise from the dead. So there goes disembodied spirits. Everybody is. Lost and saved alike. Secondly, there are those who resurrect from the dead that join the Lord in that first resurrection that he he was the first fruits of. Romans chapter 1, verse 4, declared to be the Son of God with power by the resurrection right. out from the dead. This is the Revelation 20, blessed he who comes to the first resurrection. Well, yeah, the first resurrection is out from the dead. I think it has I think it has some pieces to it. It has the dead, of course, in Christ. They'll rise first. So we don't get a six-foot head start on them. And we are alive and remain and be caught up together with them. Uh, I think there's some room... Uh, for a first resurrection uh, of Jews 
Um, don't want to go too far. I have them. I'm working on that. Okay. Um, you know, as I say, you send me into a deep dive because you you really require me to think about my own thoughts and and how they've been formulated over the years. So so anyway, that that of course started straightening me out. You can understand how that division began to to straighten me out. And then I came to understand, well, there's two justifications. Um, of course, I was quite looking for such things now because I realized that that the language of the Bible is intense at some points, and you have to, you know, when a when a passage grabs hold of you. I mean, I'm the kind of guy that when a when a problem takes over my mind, I got to solve it. You know, I can't, I can't. I can't leave it there unsolved. I, gotta, I just work on it. So when you found out in Philippians 3.11 that Paul was trying to attain to this other resurrection that was different from even the one that Jesus Christ was talking about, the resurrection out from exactly. the dead, yes. this gave you peace with regard to that condition this, of resurrection, but also then you found this other bucket of like, well, there is a conditional resurrection yeah, here. Yeah, yeah, this is all, and that was all conditional, what Paul was talking he's about. He's definitely not attained to it. He's saved for sure, right? Yeah, he's saved for sure. He wrote Romans for Pete's sake. You can't uh, get him unsaved from that. He wrote First Corinthians where he's in a race after a prize. Right, he doesn't want, after he's preached, he doesn't want to be one who's disapproved. He doesn't want to be one cast away or, you know, actually. Right, which is the same kind of disapproved conundrum you'd come to if you didn't have these separate resurrections. But see, once the thought has gripped you, see, it's hard to undo all this stuff because once the thought that things are different and then things do differ, uh, once you realize that the scriptures unfold with general, broad knowledge, the gift of God is eternal life, and I have it by faith in Jesus Christ, very broad, very clear, unequivocal, unequivocally true. Mm. Once you realize that there's those things that are simple, by the way, that's pretty simple. Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. I mean, it doesn't get any simpler than that. that. That's simple and solid and sure and everything. But then you begin to realize, as you read the scriptures, that there are these more detailed things. They're the things where you pick that object up called resurrection and you start looking at it as it was a crystal or something, and you begin to see there's different facets of this standing up. And in fact, there's a standing up inside the standing up. And those that you would call, we have that word, we have that word for those who stand out, don't we? Outstanding. We, mm-hmm. well, you're a standout. We, we, we have a facility in our language that speaks exactly right. to what that means. Uh, among, I mean, you may, yeah, okay, you made the football team and you made the starting, you know, 25 or however. Right. So you're one of the 20 kids that starts, but somebody, like, I don't know, your quarterback or whoever, 
Yeah. Somebody stood out on that team, you know, and the rest of you stood back and applauded. You were glad to have him, but he stood out on the team. Yeah. And he ends up being a captain or something like this. You have the same thing. You talked about your graduation, right? Yeah. Here you have a class of graduates. Everybody's graduated from college. Or exactly. From, but then you have the valedictorian. Right. You have the summa cum laude or whoever it is, right? Yeah. You have those who graduate summa cum laude. Right. You have the standouts. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You have the standouts. So what you were one of those, weren't you, Summa? Yes. You don't want to talk about it. No. <laughs> Not much but to talk about. Jared, Jared was a summa cum laude. He was. Uh, but we don't want to talk about it. No. Your mother wants us to talk about it. Well. Your mom's very proud of you. <laughs> Thank you. Your mom likes you, which surprises me. I think either your mom or your dad, one of them, wouldn't like you, but they actually... <laughs> Actually I'm always like, surprised when anybody likes me. They actually both like you. I've been working on that, but they but they both like you. They're yeah. they're almost unshakable in it. Well, they're uh, you know they cheer for the home team. Yeah, it's not party spirit, but it is Santo spirit. <laughs> That's right. They 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 uh, we're okay with them because they bring Santo sauce. That's right. So, so, so this, this was a, you know, maybe don't call it a change of mind or it's not like a 180, but this was what we might call a clearing of the, of your mind, right? This was a thing that was foundational for you to have a clear mind about a lot of things that the scripture has to say. Yeah. I just got more certain. So I was able to preach a wider field because my certainty grew. And I stayed inside these li- new lines that that I that were drawn in my thoughts, as outlined by you know two justifications, three resurrections, things that people don't really think about. And uh, in the course of my you know the conditionality of the kingdom, the whole idea of the kingdom of the heavens, um, what that means, the the uh, arrays in heaven. All this stuff has been built. I mean, my mind has been changed from duh to I see something. I've got something to say about this. I see something here. Um, Which, if we if we go meta for a quick second, there's no. It's not happenstance, or it was very intentional that when you did the radio ministry back in 2002 and 2003. Your very first messages were the gift and the prize. Yeah, that was orderly. The three resurrections. Right. And so these are messages we've been rebroadcasting as part of this podcast that you taught years ago. I've listened to them and you still. I agree with that guy. Yeah. I, amen, brother. Yeah. Yeah. I agree with me. Uh, it's funny, a lot of the references are dated. Yeah. And uh, especially by the number of my grandkids. Right. It's hilarious, as well as some Husker things and a political statement here or there. Uh-huh. But yeah. uh, I air, I don't even put a preface on them. I just throw them out there. and they just put them out there, music and I'll all. I'll put or? the date in the description, like originally aired June 23rd, 2002. But that's it. Everything I think else one just, of them I said I had 15 grandkids. Yeah, something like that. Not 44. Even the originally biblically speaking that I'm, I'm re-airing from 2013, 
are starting to feel a little older. A little older. Well, that but that was a great series. We did a hundred. What did we do? One hundred seventeen, I think. Something like that. Yeah, over hundred. That was a very. That was fun. This fun too. Um. Well, you want to you want to queue up another uh, mind changing moment, or is that your big one? Well, I'm gonna save that, one for the no, next conversation. Um, Do you have any others? Yeah, I mean, I've had a, a, a several in um, in the area of ecclesiology. If we, you know, I don't want to sound too theological here, but Man, you uh, just failed. That ecclesiology, very... you know what ecclesiology is? The uh, study of study the, of the church. church. Yeah. <laughs> okay. So. Yeah, soteriology, ecclesiology, angelology. Yeah, there's yeah. all these gag terms. me, huh? Gag me with a word. Yeah, well, I mean, if you want to talk on that topic, we can talk on them. But golly, why are you keeping us away from people and doing it this yeah. way? But in 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 the okay, I've had I've had uh, about. Well, I've had 30-plus years, almost 35 years, of of really leading an entire church from ground up. Uh, I was called, after I was called in ministry by God, I attended a church nearby my house. I thought it was the church closest to my house. Interestingly, it turned out it wasn't the church closest to my house, but wow. the one I got called to was. So, funny. But I was at an evangelical Mennonite Brethren Church, their Free Grace Church, so that was there. And uh, they asked me to teach, and I did. And uh, I taught the uh, midweek, one, two, they had two midweek meetings in homes. I held one of them, and I taught... Uh, college age in the Sunday school, which was always a temporary job of a few weeks while the college students came at the beginning of the semester and never returned. But I held them. I mean, at least I helped hold them in the church, and uh, I had about 22 college age. You know, some of them were falling in love with each other and stuff. Mm. But uh, I was teaching them, and... uh, I was learning at that time. Now, they asked, for example, and I think the Lord honored me greatly for this. Uh, they asked me to be an elder in the church, and I said no. And asked me what it was like to head the senior pastor guy, who was only a couple years older than me, said, uh, well, I'm, I'm an elder, and my kids are younger than yours. And I said, well, I just think I need to raise them. And uh, so, first, mm-hmm. you know, and see if I see if I qualify. Let's see how I do. You know, I've got a few years to go here. I think my oldest child at that time was thirteen, and uh, had a ways to go to show uh, what I could do. Mm-hmm. Um, so I turned him down. I think the Lord honored me for turning him down uh, because that that became a correction in the church. Of course, just that whole thought that then rippled through the rest of the elders who who had also thought I should be among them. And, uh, well, I don't know how universal it was. These are these were older guys. I mean, 
some of them as old as my father, almost. Uh, but uh, in any case, I abided in that church until uh, I was invited into another congregation to, to teach one Sunday. And uh, I, I left after my class and went and did that. And they called me in the back and asked me to be the pastor. This is a Baptist church. So I told them I didn't see the church like that with the pastor. So thanks for the good intentions. But uh, how about we agree that I just teach another six weeks here? And I went through each church of the Revelation 2 and 3. That's what I taught. Mm -hmm. And uh, I said, and then, and then we'll find out at the end of that six weeks what, what we should do together. Um, I also invited them for breakfast on the Saturdays, those, those six Saturdays. So we got together, and I talked to him about how I saw the Bible and uh, didn't, didn't agree with the Baptist, the Baptist notion of this pastor, the pastor. You know, A. Edwin Wilson was the pastor, but he never took a contract. He never allowed them to contract him. Salary wise, they just paid him whatever they felt like. Um, yet I saw I saw what he didn't see. I saw what happened when he left that church, which was which was it broke into pieces. They kept it all from him. Uh, he lived in Texas, and that happened in Tennessee. But it busted up into it busted up a few times, a couple of times, mm. and um, I could see why, you know, because. He really healed it together in maybe too many ways. Um, but they did not they did not practice a true plurality of elders, a true plurality of elders where where the elders have fellowship and become single minded about church matters and they're not they're not trying to rule in the church. They're trying to guide the church. They rule at home. And so I, so I learned, okay, well, I'm, I'm going down the road with what I learned, but the Lord more or less threw me into that small gathering. Mm -hmm. And we finally agreed that I would do what I think I should do if you will do what you think you should do. And, and actually, that is our commitment to one another in the church. It, the church is the answer to the second question Paul asked at Damascus, right? Yeah. The, the, the answer is the church. So what should I do? Well, you should you should fellowship in a local church. And uh, yeah, I know it's hard to have one. Uh, you look around for a practicing Bible-believing local church, and you're you're probably going to have to live with some obvious flaws. You, you probably you will. For I'm, sure you will, right? Well, I don't want to say for sure because maybe you could stumble across a church where there's no real obvious flaws going on. So just like the, the secret flaws. Yeah, maybe secret flaws. I, well, I'm just saying like you're you're fellowshipping with humans and we're all sinners, so there's going to be flaws. Well, yeah, but the church accommodates sinners. I know that that's probably right, but almost the idea of perfection. I think is a bit unattainable amongst humans. 
the church accommodates sinning brothers and sisters. That, <laughs> you know, um, the loaf we break is leavened. I know there's, I know there's an unleavened bread, a grape juice people, but there's leaven in the loaf and there's leaven in the, in the drink. And there's leaven in the body. And, and it's not that it is important that each believer judge himself. That's what the scripture teaches. Yeah. And, uh, you know, we're there for the brother that doesn't or for, to help the brother do that. Or sister, but sisters or brothers, you know that. So uh, what I learned, and it did change my mind. Uh, quite a bit uh, about the church. Uh, I'm an iconoclast, so I didn't have trouble with, you know, statues and crosses and stuff like that. If they were around, I took them down. But uh, uh, I had a certain notion from my youth about how a church should work and how the elders should be and, and, and uh, that uh, that we're all brethren. And and uh, I had that as a foundation, but what I didn't understand was that social dynamic needed to actually pastor a church. I mean, the people have to actually agree to be pastored. They have to agree for you to shepherd in their midst. They... they if they don't want it, they have to accept it. You know, if they're not like advocates, they have to at least be recipients mm -hmm. of shepherd. And, you know, more or less, uh, people need to be shepherded more or less. And it might be more at the first and less later. It might be more because of circumstance. Yeah. Um, but a man, to do that work, has to be supported broadly in the church not just i mean you know really really he has to be supported in that work unanimously in the church that's how it should be and uh the i think the man of god in the church seeks out unanimity uh in the congregation and he functions inside uh the space that is defined as unanimous and and the church's unanimous space should grow because the ministry is to take people from the unity of the spirit and the bond of peace, which we're all working hard to keep and bring them into the unity of the faith. And as, as that happens, the, the fellowship in the church, especially for the man, uh, or men for the men doing that work, the the intimacy of the fellowship grows. Um, well, we we grow on each other. That's you know a phrase we have in the English language. You know, it kind of grows on you. Mm -hmm. But when you've grown together, and this, of course, you have to experience to really understand it. But when you've grown together for say ten years. Your, you know, your congregation has grown together, and um, the the believers have locked into the ministry, and are are holding 
it together holding the truth, right? They together hold basic truth and advanced truth. And then you even see that, you know, the, the, the teaching brothers in the church, including the elders, uh, are moving things in that direction, continue to move things in that direction. Uh, I'll give you one challenge that, that I haven't faced yet that I know is on the horizon, which is generational passing. Um, you know, I'm, I'm old, and uh, my work isn't done, and the work that I do uh, is not work that is only mine. It is work. The work that I've done is work that needs to be done, and if not by me, then who? That's that's a new thing that I'm facing now. So my mind has changed quite a bit in 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 the understanding of church life, insofar as um, I think it's different that I believe as strongly as I do of making room in the assembly for God to raise up. Uh, the ministry. Hmm. Every assembly I've been in, well, it's not that many in, in comparison, but it was not really possible for a man to come along in the ministry freely. Uh, you know, he has dad had to have pulled, or, you know, there were all kinds of political considerations. Uh, but but not just simple openness to what God wants to do here. And um, so the experience I'm looking forward to is 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 a, a transition, put that way, transition in the church. Mm-hmm. So so all of a sudden, thirty some years ago, really I started the church. I I did do that. It went down to three people, as you've heard the story before. Yeah. Everybody left me, and uh, you know I was kind of left holding a bag with a fight that I didn't that I inherited and had nothing to do with. And I resolved that fight uh, with the help of the brethren, and started to build um, as carefully as I could on on the foundation of that. Everybody that comes in believes on the Lord Jesus Christ, you know. And and uh, and in that, so so that mold that has molded my thinking. Uh, you say change of mind. I mean, my yeah, my ideas when I was thirty five about how the church should run, and compared to how what I know mm. uh, today about how the church should really live, the, the it. To tell you the truth, the main effort I've put through in my whole life is to be sure to lay off certain things. Like what? Money. Lay off meaning you don't be involved. Don't, don't control the money in the church. Don't don't mess with it. You're the preacher. You shouldn't always have somebody else handling that money, which has been never have collections. Uh, these are things not to do, right? Don't do a collection. Don't mess with the money. Uh, 
It's like fasting. It's easy, right? Don't eat. That's pretty easy. <laughs> you don't have to cook a meal. You don't have to go to the store. I mean, it's all kinds of, you know, it's easy, uh, simple, I mean. Right. And the church should be that transparent and that simple. Um, what else do you lay off on? What's that now? What else do you lay off on? Well, you lay off on button into people's affairs. You let them come to you. Uh, okay, if something's really obvious, you might have to go to them. If they wander off, you go to them, you go get them. Uh, Can't that look like button in? When, when you go get them, it looks like button in. In fact, it is button in, and, and uh, <laughs> I'm very careful to tell somebody, I'm just button into your life here, but I feel like I have that liberty. Now, I've been wrong. I mean, I've had people come back at me and go, like, get out of my face. Uh, I've had people just hate me. You know, they leave the church and hate me. Uh, or do they hate me and leave the church? I think they leave, I think they hate me and leave the church. I've only had that happen a couple times, but one time it happened to somebody that was so close to me that it just ate, almost ate me alive. And, uh, well, financially, it also did eat me alive. But, uh, well, not really. It was just another big loss in the course of many, many losses that I've taken in, in my life. Makes for good chapters in the autobiography. A rich wealth of experience. I've paid such high tuition, but I borrowed nothing from the government for it. But I have paid very high tuition in life, and I've come away with a degree in ecclesiology. Uh, I was advised never to start a church, and I felt like I wasn't doing that when I got called into a group of people. I did not know they would all leave, so when they all left, really I've admitted to myself now, yeah, you really started what it is. Mm -hmm. And just as I was told, Edwin Wilson told me, he said, you follow the scriptures, you follow the Lord, and those people will leave you. You don't have to leave them. You don't have to start anything. You don't have to start any fights. Just stick with the scriptures. They'll leave you. And sure enough, stuck with the scriptures and all denominational ties, they cut them. They left. In fact, it was so funny because it was a Baptist, uh, once upon a time, it was a Baptist, uh, American Baptist church. And it was so funny that the other American Baptists that really for, fostered the problem and the fight, uh, which I don't even know what it was about entirely. Uh, but these these ones that really fostered it, when we got together and had a rather lengthy discussion, one of their one of their spokespeople said, "You're more Baptist than we are." Because they, they really were, they were saying, well, we're not Baptist. And I said, I don't know what Baptist is. So I looked up Baptist in the Encyclopedia Britannica, mm. and I printed out, uh, you know, the major tenets of being a Baptist. And I said, yeah, look, I mean, you could call us Baptist if you wanted to, because pretty much like we agree with soul competence that, any individual can understand the Bible. We understand that the church is local without being controlled by anybody outside. The congregation has the right to uh, ordain its own past its own pastor and 
many things that are and water baptism. I mean, there's many things that that the the fundamental elements of being Baptist are just fine, but Baptists, like every other dominant denomination, move away from their own fundamental from their own foundational teachings. Hmm. That's one thing you find about denominations. They depart from their own departure. Like they broke off, or maybe they schismed right. for certain beliefs. And then they And then they don't practice those. Depart from those beliefs. They depart from those. Exactly right. So you know what I've learned you know, Jared, what I what I've actually learned, and I don't I hope I can put this in in writing or in somehow in this program over the course of time. I hope I can put forward uh, the hope in some brothers or sisters that some it's gonna have to be a brother that you can have a biblical assembly. It can be very simple. And in this America, you can have a you can have a church in any culture, any time, any society, any time in history, because it's the church of God. And he wants the Lord wants churches. He wants cities on a hill. He wants somewhere he can put his lampstand. He wants to be able to, you know, broadcast the good news and and develop uh, through the ministry, unity of faith, which is a great power. Um, you you can follow the Lord and like any any church at any time could just decide to be a biblical church, right? Any church at any time could do that. When when you can no longer find a church that's biblical. You know, you might have to just be biblical yourself. And uh, I guess, yeah, uh, as long as you can keep the Lord on the hook, that that's the, that's the idea of a successful life of faith, in my opinion. And maybe I'm wandering a little bit from, but this is how I've, this is the main thing I've learned. Uh, if If you can somehow take a risk, that puts the Lord on the hook, you're fine. Now he has to deliver, you know. So those opportunities are not not every day. They're not all the time. But you do get opportunities, almost exits in your life, where you can put it all on the line and put the Lord on the hook for it. And if it appears you lose, don't worry about it. You've actually, you're actually going to win no matter what happens. Because the Lord is responsible for uh, prospering you. Like I threw my I threw my career at the railroad right down the right down the drain. And it's like you didn't know that. No, I knew that. I knew that going out lunchtime, standing on street corners and preaching, where lunch goers for my work would be trafficking heavily. I knew that that was the end of my career politically at the railroad. Now, 
they couldn't deny what kind of programmer I was because I was a really, really good programmer. I, I was really great at it, actually. But uh didn't matter. You know, at a certain level, that doesn't matter. You know, we can't have... We can't have this street corner preacher in our, in our, in our management meeting. That would be, that would be ridiculous. Mm-hmm. So, and I knew, I knew, I mean, who, you'd have to be pretty, pretty ignorant, even at 26, 7, 8 years old, 29, you have to be pretty ignorant to think you could walk out of a Fortune 500 company at lunchtime stand on a street corner and preach the gospel and come back in and continue your career. So, but the Lord prospered me and all these things way beyond what I would, what I would imagine. And, uh, you know, I look for those risks, but they, they only come, they don't come that often. They don't come all the time. Uh, but we do get opportunities to, the whole church experience for me was huge risk. You know, I've got a young family. I'm taken into a group of people I don't know. Eventually, they all leave, and just my family shows up. It's just me and my kids and one woman. And, you know, I'm there to preach. And, you know, we just sit down and talk. There's nowhere to preach. Mm-hmm. No one to hear. Uh, that went on for a couple years. Every week, you go to the church building, open the doors, nobody there. Uh, talk about the scriptures to one person and your wife, and uh, lock up. Nobody's there. Nobody's anybody that's coming's leaving. Yeah. Every once in a while, the door would open. Somebody pop their head in. That'd be gone. Uh, How'd you get the ball rolling? It seems like the first young men person would be like the hardest one to get. The next one. Well, friends started coming, traveling long distance. You know, Chuck started showing up. Uh, other young fellas showed up. Couples, well, once couples started showing up, now it's we were good. They're cooking with gas, but it went. I got to say, we were tractionless, more or less, for about seven years. Did you ever doubt what you were doing? Think, is this really what the Lord wants me to be doing? You know, I never did. I mean, I grumbled and complained. Yeah. But did I ever think to... Well, there's only one time I thought to leave it off. It's a very important time. And it was an issue. I won't go into it right now. But it was an issue where if the church didn't follow me, I didn't want to be a part of it. And, uh, you know, sometimes you know you're right. It's easier to be right than wrong. If you're wrong, you can make everything better by just being right, becoming right. But if you're right, there's really nothing you can do but continue to be right. 
And uh, if 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 the church doesn't agree with you, um, probably got a conscience matter and it's goodbye. And that that's how it became at one point. Uh, I think that's right about the time you came in. I think you came in shortly after that time, maybe. Maybe during that time. I don't know. 2004. Yeah, maybe during that during. time. Yeah. Gosh, you've been around a long time. Is that 16 years? Yeah. You're not a kid anymore. I have kids. Well, I know you have kids. My kids are kids. I can't be a kid if my kids are kids. Well, you could have kids and not get older, but you're actually getting older. <laughs> I try not to get any older, but it just keeps happening. What do you have an 11 year old daughter? Pushing 12. Well, they're all pushing like 30. Yeah. <laughs> so I don't know. You know, I don't know if that's a change of mind, but it's a forming of mind, formulation of mind. I. I hope to be able to say uh, how some how how my thoughts and the Lord's circumstance work work together in my life to formulate what I think is a right view of the local church, and of course I've had that view for a long time now that every believer belongs in the local church and that's really your when God gives you a lamp to your feet and a light to your path the lamp to your feet is leading you right into a local church I mean if you're not fellowshipping in a local church you've you've missed the lamp to your feet somewhere you better find out where you stepped out of bounds where you, how you stepped out of bounds and then and then let let the Lord lead you in that in that whole pursuit of, of local church. Uh, they might, they, the wrong church probably ask you to leave. If you're in the wrong church, they'll probably ask you to leave because you'll want to talk about things. You might want to teach something somewhere that's, you might not want to use the booklet that they give you to teach your Sunday school class. It can be as simple as that. That's what happened to Edwin Wilson. He he just turned down all the Sunday school materials he wouldn't order anymore from the Southern Baptists, and they come looking at it, and he has organized his own Sunday school and taught the teachers himself, and uh, they kicked him out. I mean, they left. The denomination left him. Um. I had that example from my experience where I just pursued the scriptures and the denomination left us alone and open and God uh, God it was God opening up a really wide opportunity for us to have wonderful fellowship in a great church but people are kind of slow to grip onto that but I mean there's millions of God's people all over the nation all over the world uh you can have this, you know. Believers could have the kind of local church that the God wants them to have, and and then they'll, that's where 
That's where the deepest love of God is. That's where Christ's love is found. Christ loved the church. God loved the world. You know, the love of Christ is found in the local church. It's not found apart from the local church. And then there's such blessing in the family that occurs from that. I mean, you can almost, it's almost unimaginable how wonderful it is. Well, you're, you're living in the good of it, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, your children, their friends, uh-huh. uh, their point of view, uh, maybe not entirely I mean, molded at home, but accommodated. Accommodate that molding is accommodated, reinforced in the local church. Mm-hmm. Without that, I don't know. You know, if you take your kids into chaos every time you have fellowship, you have child chaos. Well, I don't know what that would be like. You know, you walk through the door and they go, "Well, this one and this one we take to the nursery. And this one goes here, and this one goes here. Here's your." Here's your GPS finder. And you go collect your kids at the end of two hours or something and go home. That's the church experience of most people. And, and that that wouldn't be so bad, really. I mean, that okay, those are just surface things. That wouldn't even be so bad if, if the scriptures were richly being taught during that time, but they're not. They're not. And uh, no... And it's, and it seems that few people in the congregation know they're not. Although my experience is visiting in those congregations and being in one, there actually are people that know that they're not being fed and that actually there are people there that could do some feeding that aren't doing it. Hmm. Well, I've gone far afield of your of your question, but I don't know if you were thinking there might be some more doctrinal flops, but there's, as I think about it, there's just more specificity given, you know, just more details painted in to, to the framework that, that I have that is a, 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 Solid, solid framework. I've you know tested it many times. Uh, it's been tested. You uh, you have to find places for difficult scriptures. It, you know, certainly uh, your uh, your eschatology is always kind of mushy. I mean, I've got sort of mushy eschatology in various areas. I can't. I still can't take the Book of Revelation apart cleanly, and and present it, you know, with the kind of uh, freedom of speech, the kind of uh, per- parousia that I have elsewhere in the Scripture. Yeah, I haven't heard anybody actually. Well, I did hear somebody be that way, sound that way, but goes wrong about everything. <laughs> um, but th- that th- that doesn't take away from from uh, solid um, stuff about the 
kingdom of God, the kingdom of the heavens, the conditionality of of entrance, uh, the conditionality of abundant entrance, and the conditionality of receiving acclamation by God as Abraham did, and he was called a friend of God. You're not called a friend of God, not yet. I, you may hope, and I hope, to be called a friend of God. Uh, as I tell people, there's no doubt, you know, that uh, what a friend we have in Jesus. I mean, he is a great friend, but you might not be a very good friend of Jesus. You might, you know, mm-hmm. you're not Jesus' friend. You don't do what he says. Yeah. You're, so there's conditionality there. Um uh, Getting the conditionality in the right place, I guess, has been the great overriding theme of my years in the ministry, is getting conditionality in the New Testament in the correct place. And, I mean, one of the great Greeks, I've had opportunity to meet, you know, some, some really great Bible students. The late Zane Hodges didn't have Philippians 3 right, despite his rather wonderful contributions to free grace, excepting uh, maybe the last couple of years of his life, but his, his absolutely free and some other contributions to free grace is is substantial, but he was unable to make contributions to the conditionality of Philippians chapter 3. He didn't see it. And in fact, he got annoyed with me. He said, I see that as a resurrection lifestyle, not something that happens at the resurrection. Well, that's not what it says. And he got annoyed with me. But uh, so there's somewhere where I didn't change my mind. Had plenty of opportunity to. Mm-hmm. Right now, I've got something going on where I might have to change my mind. And uh, well, as long as you don't talk about it, you can change your mind privately. Yeah, well, no, that goes on all the time. Uh, you know, I'm not going to talk about all my doubts. I'm. I mean, I'm really. I kind of limited myself here to what I ta- what I've taught. Not yeah. What I, well, not what I've thought. I mean, I couldn't. Well, that you should like pull what you're thinking there. It's not changed my preaching; it's changed my mind. Come on. Well, yeah, I, I, I mean, I don't, want, I don't want to <laughs> expose myself to uh, <laughs> to articulating thoughts that I never have because they're so you know shouldn't be articulated. No wonder it's such slim pickings. Yeah, you drop your guard. You got to tell us here. You got what? Yeah, drop your guard. You got to tell us your internal failures. Come on. No, I you know, really don't think that's part of the show here. It, part of the podcast. I, I don't think people want to hear my doubts or the doubts that I've ever had or the crazy thoughts I've ever had. No, nah, probably not. I mean, when I, you know, when I was an early Christian, I, I had trouble with assurance. Here they come. Didn't you have trouble with assurance? No trouble ever. Very little trouble with assurance. Of course, I mean, you had the advantage of being taught assurance from the get-go. Yeah. Nobody was teaching me assurance. 
I was gaining it by continually reading the Gospel of John. That's what I did early on. I'd just go out on a walk, and I had a little pocket Gospel of John, and I'd just go out on a walk and read that. I'm surprised I didn't run into anything. I was a younger man at the time. Today, I'll chew gum and then walk rather than walk and chew gum at the same time. I don't want to fall over. Mm -hmm.